Shalom, and thank you for listening to the weekly teaching from Nachamu Ami. It's our honor that you've chosen to participate virtually, and we hope that this lesson will be an inspiration in your daily walk. Don't miss a single teaching. Be sure to download the Nachamu Ami app by visiting our website at www.makeandmessianic.com and clicking the Download the App button in the top left corner. Enjoy the message. Better stuff. We're talking about a better covenant. We started this whole thing with Yeshua, uh, the, well, the sacrificial system, if you can remember how far back that goes. I cannot, but we're back in Hebrews after a little, little departure. So I don't want to just jump too far too fast. So very, very, very quick reminder, thank you, of what we've done. Last time we talked about Hebrews, we were able to put together the idea that there is a better temple, that there is a heavenly temple, not to the detriment of the earthly temple, but that there is a heavenly temple and it is for a better and different purpose. If you need to review that, go back and listen to the message from May 18th. We also, actually the last time, the real last time we were together, we started the better part of why is the priesthood better? And we talked about that it was the author of Hebrews goes to great lengths to say that Yeshua is better than the angels, he's better than Moses, and he's better than even the Aaronic priesthood. That was the that was kind of our he's better than Aaron, but but a problem surfaced in that because we came to see that Yeshua is not qualified for priesthood according to the Torah. Right? And we know that even the author of Hebrews tells us that. That's not something we made up in Messianic Judaism. The author of Hebrews tells us what tribe is he from? And what tribe are the priests from? Levi. So there's a contradiction, there's a problem. So according to the eternal Torah that shall not pass away, that Yeshua did not come to abolish, Yeshua is not a priest. And certainly not a priest, according to the high, certainly not a high priest according to the Aaronic order. Now, that we also decided is not really a problem for traditional Christian theology. Why? Because all that they do is say, well, of course he's not according to that priesthood, but that doesn't matter because Yeshua came and did away with all of that. Yeshua came and did away with the priesthood. He changed the Torah. Remember, we called, we changed Yeshua's name for this message to the Terminator. The Terminator of the Aaronic priesthood, the Torah Terminator, Yeshua HaMashiach. And he is the one that we really want to be able to say, I'll be back. And he will be back. But he did not come to terminate the Torah or the Aaronic priesthood. But the argument is, of course, There's no problem because Yeshua can do whatever he wants. It doesn't matter if it's contrary to the Torah because he did away with it. But we pretty pretty quickly put that to rest in our first session on the better priesthood. And if you need to refresh there, go back and listen to the message from May 25th. Okay, you with me? Yeshua is not a priest of the Aaronic order right? We're in agreement. Okay, that's, that's easy because the, the author tells us that. 
And that would be, that would be a change to the Torah which we know in this world cannot happen unless God can change his mind about his eternal word, which he said he doesn't do, and the author of Hebrews said he wouldn't do. So we put that away. But clearly Yeshua is called in the book of Hebrews a priest, yes? And what kind of priest? A high priest, our great high priest. So the contradiction remains because I never really said anything about that. I just left you with this mention of the introduction to the connection. And who is the connection for Yeshua's priesthood? It's a person. Who is it? Of course. Machit Sedek. So today as promised. It's been three weeks since I made the promise, but I'm making good on it. Let's meet Malchitzedek, okay? And that will take us, that will take us on the direction of understanding this statement from Hebrews. Now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. So now you understand why this is the better section. And I'm going to teach just a bit longer today, I think, because I need to make certain. Kelly, why do you have a grimace on your face when I said that? (laughs) Really? I'm going to teach a little bit longer today. That's building my confidence. Thank you. Today's goal, first of all, better is not really the best choice of words for what we're going to talk about in relation to Yeshua's priesthood. Now that sounds like kind of a, that sounds like a diminishing of Yeshua. I want to use this word. It is better because the author says, but the primary thing we're going to be looking at today is it is different. It is different. It's better for a number of way, in a number of ways in terms of its elements and the rewards and the purposes, but it is different in comparison to the earthly priesthood of Aaron and his sons. There, but, but, but there is actually, there is no comparison to Yeshua's priesthood and the Aaronic priesthood other than the author making some illustrations, which we'll talk about. But there's no comparison between Yeshua's priesthood and the Aaronic priesthood because there doesn't need to be. Because they are different for different purposes. And in the end, we'll find that why, I, why, why it's different, why the author of Hebrews decides that he's going to go to great length to show these differences, sort of in comparison to Aaron, and why that matters so very much to the audience of Hebrews, and why it matters to you, Dave. It is technically better, Yeshua's priesthood. It is superior. It is more excellent. Are you ready to know why? You, uh, you, you think you know. Here is the first of the clues as to why it is better. 
Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, question, can the Aaronic priesthood remove our sins, provide atonement, and allow us full access into the presence of God? Can the Aaronic priesthood do that? Going back to week one through three, we talked about ritual and moral purity. Remember this? If you're, if you're not remembering that, you should, because it matters a lot for what we're talking about here. The Aaronic priesthood provided for us ritual purity and the ability to go and enter into holy space where God dwelled. However, it is a certainty, according to the author of Hebrews, that it cannot take away sins in the sense of eternal interaction with God. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Now, we've talked ad nauseum about how that statement is used, abused, misunderstood, mistranslated by Christian theology. That statement. Okay, but the people knew this. The people in that time knew that this was not the purpose of the Aaronic priesthood, to take away sins and allow access into the world to come. So Yeshua's priesthood, though, is different. First of all, what can it do? It can take away sins and provide propitiation for the people. There is a pretty big difference in his priesthood, okay? But, and I, I cannot, I, I'm going to say this over and over and over again, and I'm going to ask you to etch it in your heart, your mind, your soul, and spirit. It is different primarily because of the venue in which his priesthood functions, the purpose and the venue. Remember, Hebrews 2, 3 tells us, he did not subject, and he's talking about angels back then, but this bolded statement, he did not subject to angels the world to come concerning which we are speaking. The entire book going forward from that statement, actually from the beginning, chapter one, but from two, the world to come is what we're talking about. Yeshua's priesthood, its major difference is its functionality for the world to come. I think we all very much know this, especially after I've beaten it to death. But we are talking when Yeshua's priesthood about something different. We're not talking about the olam hazeh, which is where our feet are standing. We are talking about the olam haba, which is the world to come. Mark it down. That's the foundation for everything that goes forward from here and concludes this message. Okay? You with me, Kelly? So, it is different, but here's kind of the challenging statement for you. You ready? Not in a totally 
uniquely different way. In other words, everyone loves to say that Yeshua came and did everything new and turned everything on its ear and recreated the whole system. His priesthood is different, but not in a uniquely different way from anything that has happened before. That sounds challenging. Let me, let me back it up, okay? <clears throat> he did not create his own priesthood. He did not undo the Torah, which is basically what Christianity teaches. Now listen to me. We've talked a lot about our audience, right? We've talked about the audience of Hebrew through this series, who, who the book is written to, who the message was preached to. An audience that heard that message that Yeshua came and did away with everything and created a new priesthood, the audience that heard that in the first century would have absolutely rejected it out of hand. There is no possibility that they would have received that message and said, yeah, I'm on board. That works, a whole new thing that were the Torahs thrown out? Yeah, that works. Messiah, clearly, he would come and do that. Reminder of our audience to refresh very quickly. And no, I cannot prove to you beyond a shadow of a doubt that what I'm gonna tell you I think about this audience is 100% historically accurate. But it's logical and it makes massive amounts of sense based on facts that I've already presented to you about who the book is written to. Jews and God-fearers, accustomed to worshiping in the temple, familiar with the authority structure of the current earthly priesthood. They understood where they derived their authority. Where was it from? Not a trick question. Where did the priesthood derive their authority? From the Torah. They knew that. They understood that. They were a Torah observant community. They understood the necessary qualifications for a priest to lead. They were in turmoil, as a matter of fact, we've discussed, because it seems as if they are being excluded from temple worship, excluded from what the priesthood could offer them, no longer allowed to enter in due to persecution for their belief in Messiah Yeshua. To tell them that none of those things matter anymore, the priesthood, the Torah, to tell them that, Jesus fixed all that. Uh-uh. Doesn't work. That would never work. It's like me telling you, you know what? When you leave today, listen, when you leave today, you're going to cease these signs and lights and stuff on the road. Stop signs. Stop lights. I talked to Mayor, whoever our mayor is, and I actually had a conversation with Donald Trump. For everyone at Nahamu Ami, we are no longer bound to any traffic signals or stoplights. Do whatever you want to do. It's, it's going to go just fine, trust me. That is, in essence, the message that would be 
communicated to a Torah-observant community in first century Israel to tell them that Yeshua created a new priesthood and now he's at the top of it, changing everything around and nothing else matters. You get me? Rejected solidly out of hand. Now here's the funny thing. That argument is exactly what's been told to Christianity for 1,900 years, and it's completely and totally embraced, right? Isn't that interesting? That the ones who were receiving the instruction, the edification, would have said, no. But yet Christian tradition came along and said, oh yes, it's all gone. And Jesus did it. And after all, let me just make this point. If it were that easy, if all the author needed to do to his audience was say, you know what? That was then, this is now, it's gone. Don't worry about it. Why would he even have to go to the hassle of bringing up this confusing Melchizedek thing? I mean, that would be a much easier road to hoe than to say, there's this guy, Melchizedek, and he had this, and he had this, and Yeshua's like him, and you know, it would have been much easier to say, run the stop signs, it doesn't matter anymore. So it's, 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 that's just making a point that unfortunately I've probably made too much, but I just, I just need you to know that. So here's what the author needed to show. He needed to show that Yeshua's priesthood was different, right? But it was based in the Torah. It was still a Torah-based authority. And that's what he works hard to show. It is a different priesthood, but it has existed before. It was not created out of thin air. And that's what I mean when I say it is not uniquely different from anything that's ever happened before. And thus, meet Melchizedek. Here he is. Psalm 110. This is, this is Hashem. This is God speaking to Mashiach and says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord has sworn remember that term, and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. In what order? The order of Melchizedek. Shabbat shalom. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if it were that easy? <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean? The author of Hebrews three times, twice in chapter five, once in chapter six, and then an entire chapter seven is spent talking about this guy and this thing, the order of Melchizedek. So how much do you know about it? Because this is Yeshua's authority to do the thing that we're all counting on him to do. The author of Hebrews thinks it's pretty important. I think we probably should. And as defenders of our interpretation of Hebrews, I think it's vitally important, which is why I'm taking this much time to do this. We should know what it is, but we'll start with a different question than what is the order of Melchizedek? Let's start with who is Melchizedek? You ready? Three verses. 
four if you count this. Three verses in the Torah about who this guy is. It's, it's, it's interesting. Then Malchitzedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And there it is. Shabbat Shalom again. You got it? That's Yeshua's authority. Well, I mean, for the purpose of Hebrews, he has... He has a lot of authority that, you know what I mean. How many times have you heard something preached about Melchizedek? Not very often, but, but like these, all these creative connections and super spiritual things about Melchizedek and he, the order of Melchizedek. Three verses. What do we do with these verses? What, what, what does this mean for us? That's not a lot to know. Ah, the depths of Torah. There is a lot to know. First, let's consider a common tradition within Christianity, which provides, uh, actually makes a very easy answer to this question. Are you ready for this? Who is Melchizedek? According to much Christian tradition, not unanimous by any stretch. I'm not throwing Christianity under the bus with this. There are a lot of people who don't support this. But by many strands, who is Melchizedek? Jesus. He is, he is Yeshua doing what he does coming and dressing up into other costumes throughout history and revealing himself to people. Right? Malchizedek. That's how you say it in the South. King Malchizedek. It's pre-incarnate Jesus. And if you need proof, let's just look. King of righteousness. That's what the name means, Malchitzedek. It means king of righteousness. We need only look at, at Jeremiah to find how this must be Yeshua, right? We can look back here if I can make my thing work. In his days, Judah will be saved. Whose days? Days of Mashiach. And Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he'll be called the Lord, our righteousness. So clearly here is the king of righteousness. And this is talking about Messiah. So Malchitzedek, king of righteousness, it's Jesus. Next, you need more proof. The king of Salem. The word shalem, meaning peace, complete, we only need look to Isaiah 9 to find out that Yeshua, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So clearly, the King of Salem, the King of Peace, is none other than the Prince of Peace from Isaiah 9. It's Jesus. That's not good enough for you? 
the king of righteousness, the king of peace, comes and serves to Abram. Please take note, it's Abram. He's not even Abraham yet. Pay attention to that. But he comes, the king of righteousness, the king of peace, comes and he serves Abraham what? What did they snack on? Come on. What more could you need? It's Yeshua offering Abram communion. His body and his blood, a foreshadowing of what would be done on the cross. It's Jesus. Still not convinced. Hebrews 7.3, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God. It's Jesus. Easy to arrive there. It's Yeshua dressed up and showing out, letting Abraham know. And if you need one last bit of proof, when Yeshua is speaking to the Pharisees and he said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. And there it is. You can see how the argument's constructed, right? You can see that there are a number of things that could lead one to believe that this might be. Has anyone ever heard that teaching? Okay, good. We're not alone. Now, let's do the unpopular thing just for a minute. Let's be logical. Let's read what's there. Let's consider the history and let's consider the rest of the Bible around it. Let's be logical Let's consider the facts. I know I'm always making your lives difficult. But my parents and my wife and my children can attest to the fact that's what I'm good at. <laughs> Let's really meet Malchitzedek. For this, Hebrews 7.1 says, For this Malchitzedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. First off, the unanimous opinion among the sages of Israel is that Malchitzedek is none other than, not Jesus, Shem, Noah's son. And yes, the chronology supports it. You could get there. You could get from Noah to Shem to this time that's happening with Abram. So it's not, it's not a ridiculous thing at all. However, here's the challenge we face. The author of Hebrews rejects this. How do we know that the author of Hebrews rejects this Jewish tradition? Because he says, without mother and father, we know, that we know who Shem's father was, right? So anyway, what, what do we do with that? Well, let's keep going. But I do want you to understand and know that that's the way that, that traditional Judaism, that's how he is identified. And there's a lot of writing in the Midrash and Torah commentaries about Shem and how righteous he was and all the great things that he did. So that's something else. But <clears throat> here's problem one. King of Salem. Everybody still with me? You, you're getting this, right? King of Salem king of peace, king of shalem, king of something super spiritual. No. Salem is a real place 
not Massachusetts with witch trials. Salem in Israel, or, or actually Canaan. Salem was a Canaanite city. Actually, later, it's a Jebusite city probably, later it became known by a very famous name. Do you know what that name is? Jerusalem. But this king of Salem is a king of a literal place that's in the Bible. The king of Salem. So we can say that he's, he's the prince of peace, but, but he's a man. He's a human being man. And furthermore... If Yeshua is going to dress up and come back and meet people, is he going to dress up as a Canaanite king? That doesn't make any sense. Problem two, king of righteousness, Malchitzedek. That is, in my opinion and other names, and other opinions, it's what the word means. But the suggestion is that that's not his name. That's his title. It's his title. It defines his attributes. He is the king of Salem, also known as a righteous king. Why? Why would he earn the title Melchizedek righteous king? Part of what I just told you. He is a Canaanite king surrounded by Canaanite idol worshipers, and read the beginning of Genesis 14, where we have the battle of the kings, right? And Abraham's going through, and, and all these kings are fighting. Sodom's there, Gomorrah's there, all of these, Hadar Omer, there are all these Canaanite kings. You don't find, you don't find Melchizedek or Salem in the, in the fray, but he is a Canaanite who is described as a priest of El Elyon. Is that weird? Those things can't go together, can they? They most certainly can. And historically speaking, the term El is a very familiar Canaanite description of gods. So here, the Canaanite king is, tr- is, describing, uh, is described as a priest of El Elyon. He is a righteous Gentile. He has something uniquely different about him. He's a righteous dude. He's not like these other kings. He's distinct. He's unique. He has a unique title. He's the king of righteousness because he represents God most high. So to earn his title, Malchizedek is not in any way a stretch. Problem three, without father, without mother, without genealogy, And remember what the problems we're talking about here. We're talking about the problems with identifying Malchizedek as Jesus. Without father, without mother. I'd like to turn your attention to Matthew 1, how the New Testament starts. This is the genealogy of Yeshua. So that is, that's easy, right? We know Yeshua had a mother for sure. So, 
the idea that he's without father, without mother, that can't work. Last, problem four, Malchitzedek's administration was without beginning of days and end of life. This is found in Hebrews 7.3. Without beginning of days and end of life. And what this is interpreted as is, you know, he, he was some, some unknown thing that had come on earth. He's, he's this mystery. No. Do you know what it means? It's referring to the term of priests, which is identified where? In the Torah. We just read part of it today. Priests serve from 30 to 50. 25 or 20, we'll talk, right? But but there's there's an exact beginning of a priesthood and an end of priesthood. But Malchizedek's priesthood is different. It does not have that. Neither beginning of days nor end of life. Problem five, but made like the Son of God is the conclusion of that. Made like the Son of God. Is this difficult? Like is not is. If he were Yeshua, then it would not use the comparative word to say he is like the Son of God. That's easy. That's easy. Like is different. So, here's, here's the, remember the very important and fundamental argument we must take away here. Remember the audience. The priesthood must be based in the Torah. Melchizedek is most definitely a type and a forerunner of our Messiah. In this, this uniquely righteous king with, with this unknown lineage, he is a king and a priest of the Most High God. A literal king and a literal priest of the Most High God. That's something unique. This whole thing about no father and no mother, it's not to create some some phantom, super spiritual version of Yeshua who floated in and offered Abram communion. That's not the purpose of these descriptions. Malchizedek had physical parents. Here's the reality. Listen to me. I've said a lot of words in the last 10 minutes. Here's the word. His authority was not derived from who his parents were. Okay? You understand? This is the point of these these descriptions that the author of Hebrews is giving. He was not an Aaronic priest, Melchizedek. But look at his status. Look at his status. The one whose genealogy is not traced from them, collect that's from them is from the Levites. He's not traced from Aaron. One whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. Who is the one who had the promises? Abraham. And the text goes on to say, but without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Who's lesser? Abraham is lesser and blessed by this king and priest who had no authentic Torah-based Aaronic authority. In this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in that case, one receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. The priesthood of Melchizedek is eternal. We know that because Yeshua intercedes for us eternally. 
the order of Machitzedek, listen to me, was not by his birth or his blood. Okay? That's, that point is anchored. We got it? Good. His priesthood is authentic, uniquely tied to Torah, and capable of something that Aaron's priesthood could never do and was not intended to do. That's the important thing. We needed something different. The Aaronic priesthood arbitrates this, this world, the Mosaic covenant, so to speak. Mosaic covenant, the Torah for this world here. The new covenant is for the world to come, which is what we are speaking about. And we needed a unique and superior priest for this. But then the author comes along and makes this very confusing statement. For on the one hand, there is a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. Now, if you ever get into a discussion with someone about Hebrews, this is going to be put in your face. Everything I said for the first 15 minutes of this about the Torah not being passed away and not being discarded and Yeshua not changing it, that statement, that sentence is the ammunition to tell you you're wrong, correct? Yeah, it is. So I need to, I need to just say a quick word about that. The common understanding, of course, is the Torah has been set aside. The Torah, God's word given on Shavuot, given to the people as a marriage document, a ketubah, that is now weak and useless Can you imagine a Jew in the first century saying that and being believed or taken as a valid source of information? Can you imagine that? Who is our audience? Jews and God-fearers. Surely not, or as Paul would say, God forbid. So here's my question. What is setting aside a former commandment? What does that mean? For on the one hand, there is a setting aside, and you need to read Hebrews 7 in its entirety when we're done here. I haven't just read through the whole chapter. I'm taking parts, but they're all in context. For on the one hand, there is a setting aside of a former commandment. What is that? What does that mean? It means, and this is the author's point, that there is another way for priests to happen. This setting aside is that the idea that only Aaron's sons could serve as priests. That sounds confusing. I get it. But he has made this elaborate argument that the Torah has established another way for a priest to be, and that is Melchizedek. What is set aside is this commandment that only Aaron's sons will be priests. What is weak and useless? That's a very damning statement about the things that we believe. The former commandment, that is, the Torah is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness for the law made nothing perfect. What does that mean? How am I supposed to defend that? 
You ready for what's weak and useless? The Aaronic priesthood's ability to remove sins from you and allow you access into the world to come. It could not be done by the Aaronic priesthood. The law made nothing perfect. How must you be when you enter into God's presence? Perfect. It makes total sense. The Aaronic priesthood, weak and useless in the sense of access to the world to come. Weak, that's a bad description. Well, not really. For the law appoints men as high priests who are You can read it. It's four letters. Weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. The priests do not have that capability under the Aaronic priesthood. And so, enter in the world to come, a different, more excellent ministry that needed to come. And then the author comes and brings this around. The first part said, on the one hand, we have a setting aside of a former commandment, but on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. On one hand, the Aaronic priesthood must pass away. On the other hand, through the priesthood of Malchitzedek, we have access in Yeshua, the order of Malchitzedek. So the king and the priest. Yeshua as priest in the order of Melchizedek was something that the Aaronic priesthood could never be. But there is no, no setting aside of the Aaronic priesthood in this venue. You got it? There's a few nods, so we'll count that as a success. Here's the conclusion. To the people that our author is speaking to, the Hebrews audience, he says, you know that Yeshua is the king. He has demonstrated this with his resurrection. He is the king. He is the Messiah. He is like Machitzedek, a king of peace. He is bringing the messianic age and he will rule as king of Jerusalem. The author communicates his kingship. And now you need to see his qualifications, my audience, as priest. They are sure and true, and verified in the Torah. This is not something created out of nowhere. And this is our anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Yeshua has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Friends, he says in Hebrews, This unique man that you know about was king and priest. He did something amazing. The priesthood served him. And now, in the very same order, God has spoken not through bloodline, 
but through an oath. And that's what Psalm 110 says. The Lord has said to you, you are a priest forever and speaking to Messiah. He has done it again. And Yeshua, king and priest, like Melchizedek. And ultimately, this is where it's going to take us. This is how Yeshua and the order of Melchizedek and his kingship and priesthood is a more excellent ministry. It is better because your eternal hope rests in it. By as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises and that better Covenant is our next and last stop on the betters of the book of Hebrews. The Brit Chadashah, the new covenant. And so you need to know it, and you don't want to miss it. Shabbat Shalom. We hope you enjoyed the weekly teaching. We'd love to hear from you with a comment, a prayer request, or questions you might have. We believe the mission and message of Messianic Judaism is something the world needs now. If you enjoy these teachings, would you consider financially supporting the work of Nachamu Ami by visiting our website at www.makinmessianic.com and clicking the Give Online button in the upper right corner. Thank you again for listening.